defining, accepting, and moving beyond addiction. That's what we're talking about today on the Low Tox Life podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show number 279, and I'm welcoming the wonderful Kylie Butler onto the show today to discuss moving beyond addiction. We go through a very personal journey of Kylie's with her own alcohol addiction and everything she learned from that experience to how she now helps people today with a practitioner network that she's formed and all of the details for that are on the show notes. But we really wanted to talk today about practical things you can do to realize when you do or when you don't have a reliance or an addiction on a substance and what some of the things might be that might work. We talk about everything from 12-step programs uh, right through to different therapies, psychologists, uh, lots and lots of stuff. And my duty of care to you is, of course, if this is a triggering subject, if uh, you feel that this might be too much for you to listen to, sit this week out. It's okay. I'll see you next week. Um, but if you do know someone or perhaps you are ready to look at this, I hope we provide a safe space of exploration for you or your friends or family today. And always remember that if you are at a critical point of potentially relapsing or you need some mental health support today, please reach out to your local hotlines. Uh, They're just a quick Google away and there are always people ready to listen and help you. So um, I'm really excited about this episode. Uh, I don't think any of us have a life where we don't know someone if it hasn't been ourselves affected by addiction in some way. I didn't feel that my addiction to cigarettes was particularly uh, dangerous. Um, maybe it will prove dangerous one day, who knows? Um, but I, in listening to today's show was able to even recognize some of the things that, um, led me to become an addict when it came to cigarettes. And interestingly, I thought I was interviewing this guest as someone who had never experienced addiction. Um, but as she spoke and as I was then reflecting back on my own experience, I realized, yes, I had. So I'll be really interested to see how, uh, this lands for you guys out there. Please let me know, share your comments, um, pop me a DM, and, uh, and it, you know, if you feel it's appropriate, I would love for you to share this one in your Instagram stories. Cause I just think a lot of people want the help. They might be just approaching that day where they're ready. And if they see something like this and then listen to a show, that's going to switch some light bulbs on for them and give them some next steps, then wow, we could really help people this week, which I'm very excited about. I want to thank our major sponsors, Oz Climate. 
uh, helping Australian families out with air purification and dehumidification needs. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the brand. It's been an honor to have them join me in a more permanent way this year, giving you 10% off all year round with the code LOWTOXLIFE. Uh, I have had so much great feedback already. People are like, oh, I can't believe it. Like I just put this thing in my wardrobe for half a day and all my clothes feel crisp and my shoes have stopped growing mold when it's raining. And I mean, it really can be a life-changing thing to temper, to regulate the humidity in your indoor environment. Um, and then of course, air purification, who doesn't need it? You could, could live in a city like I live in inner Sydney. There's no question I would live without an air purifier choosing to live in a city. Uh, but then, you know, you might be on an agricultural property or in a regional area where a lot of agricultural chemicals are used. So very useful for that purpose as well. Uh, you know, we have seasons where we're really bushfire prone in this country and different regions get really badly affected, who can forget 2019? Uh, and then, of course, you know, what we've seen Greece and California experiencing with their wildfires. Air filtration really is a game changer. So it could be from things like just helping to minimize asthma symptoms or allergies due to pet dander right through to being life-saving in a time of natural disaster. So 10% off, Lotox Life is your code. And then, of course, this month's special sponsor is Walida. So you have 20% off the Walida range, uh, excluding gift packs and promotional items. Your code is Walida April, and the website is walida.com.au. And just a reminder, they have the beautiful new Skin Food Body Lotion, which is a lighter body lotion uh, form of the Skin Food Original, the product that's been around for over a 100 years now. And, uh, while the original skin food is not vegan, the skin food body lotion is just for any listeners out there who are vegan and use vegan products. You will be very happy to know you can get all the benefits of skin food in body lotion form and a vegan formulation. Uh, it is 97% recycled plastic in the packaging, uh, and it is super comforting on the skin. So if you're an Aussie, which this offer is for, so chances are, you are, uh, this is fantastic heading up into winter, um, to maybe move away from that light summer body lotion and into something that's going to give you a little bit more nourishment. Uh, I love that all throughout April and May skin food products that are purchased, whether they're part of this offer or just generally, Walida is donating $2 from every single purchase to Carbon 8. And Carbon 8 are a wonderful not-for-profit helping to educate farmers all around Australia in how to build the organic matter in their soil. Their goal is to get the average Australian carbon matter of 1% in the soil, uh, up organic matter, sorry, up to 8%. And the ramification of that in terms of biodiversity, soil health, um, nutrient content through to carbon sequestration is massive. So I couldn't think of a better thing to do than to buy and stock up on your skincare and at the same time uh, as a byproduct give to this incredible organization doing this amazing work. That's all I have today about say about our wonderful sponsors today. I don't want to waste another second before starting this all important show about addiction. Hello, Carly. How are you? 
Hello, I'm really well, thanks. And yourself? I am very well and I'm really looking forward to this conversation, very important one to have and for you sharing personal experience but also how you support people now uh, is um, I think going to be inspiring to many. So I want to ask about that personal experience. Uh, You obviously support people with addiction, as I mentioned in the intro uh but it wasn't um it wasn't a stranger to you yourself was it no that's absolutely right so you know my my career started off in um you know in corporate i worked in people of cultural roles and i always always had a was very drawn to altruistic work did a lot of volunteer work was was helping others then and i started a coaching business before i actually started my own alcoholic journey funnily enough um so it's funny where i find myself now not funny actually it, it's really beautiful the the natural alignment of, of where i am now but yeah i went through a very very dark um uh yeah very, very dark story very dark history um experience of um of alcoholism myself which i'm very happy to share because part of the part of the healing journey through um through addiction and addiction is a, a spectrum so you know we can get very medical and we can start talking about the dsm5 criteria and the very significant you know um criteria that we use to assess all levels of, of addiction of to substance to substances and to processes and then we also have you know un, unhealthy drinking you know um you know uh, people um, bring into their lives, you know, just, you know, bad habits, excessive use of alcohol, that type of thing. But there's a very big difference between a heavy drinker and somebody who suffers in, um, in addiction. And addiction is very much my story, although I help people along the spectrum. So, look, my story kind of in a nutshell, because in essence, uh, alcoholism and all addiction is a complex neurological condition. It is a fundamental rewiring of the brain, and it is uh, driven by a number of factors. Ultimately, the end result, what we see, you know, the picking up the, of the drink, the picking up of the drug, that is the pathological self-soothing of a deep psychological wound, and one that people may well not be aware of. In essence, and again, to kind of simplify this, um, addiction is caused by some level of complex trauma, normally in those foundational years. So the very, very early years, zero to nine, zero to 19 are the most impactful. And when you say, when you say zero, Kylie, does that even include birth and the the birth experience? Really good, good question. And yes, it it does. And not only does it include birth, um, I suppose I'm just saying kind of the more medical definition of it there, what we're also understanding more and also through modern medicine as well is firstly, epigenetics and ancestral trauma. So what is actually coming down the line, and that's absolutely part of my story, what I was born into this earth with. And then, then of course, there's actually, you know, the birthing journey itself. I um, never sucked on the boob. That's a big thing in terms of, you know, not actually being able to be nurtured by the mother and self-soothed from that very early age that is a significant factor so it's the we talk about the very early ages when we talk about complex trauma because complex trauma is really just when the emotional system is overloaded so we talk we have big t's and little t's and what a lot of us have is is a combination of little t's so the key things that make us ripe for addiction are 
um, some level of complex trauma. Yes, some of that can come can, can be in the um, you know in us when we're born into this world, and um, and also um, uh, being highly sensitive. Those two things. So there's um, there are some medical debate about this, but people such as Gabor Mate and the absolute experts on the topic will tell you that there is no specific gene for addiction. There's no. It looks like a family disease because of the complex trauma that people suffer when they grow up in the lot in alcoholic and addictive households. You know the, the incongruency, the inconsistency, all the chaos that that brings is then traumatic that they then need to, need to self-soothe later. So um, in essence, some level of complex trauma and highly sensitive. Now, I kind of went along in my life. It's all bright and shiny on the outside, you know. I have a family who I love dearly. Looking at it now, there's no very of no red flags. So there's no alcoholism in the family. There's no um, uh, mental health in my life or the, the family in my family life, um, nothing really obvious, no sexual trauma or anything like that. Um, what we do have, though, is some a lot of things that are happening in the family system that were never voiced, that were all carried down through the system through both my mother and my father. For anyone who understands constellations and family work, I'm kind of like the, you know, the squeaky wheel in the family unit that speaks to all of the trauma that sits within the, the, the family unit. And so... There are all these things that kind of happened in my youth and in the background, but I'm busy. I'm living a life in, in Australia, in corporate, super hyper-connected, disconnected, not really understanding any of this stuff that's going on, achieving a lot externally in my life, you know, things are going really well, seemingly, you know, um, uh, you know fiancés, all looking great. And then a series of events happened that ripped the Band-Aid off the complex trauma of my, my youth that had never been looked at. So I got into a relationship um, with a, a beautiful man who I'm very, so very dear friends with, who had a child who um, uh, just didn't didn't want a stepmom, didn't want a a, um, and anyone who comes from blended families will know, you know, some of the the, the pressure um, that that exists within the the blended family unit, and so it was a very difficult situation and no fault of them or um, at all. But the situation that it put me as a highly sensitive being in is that um, I felt desperately alone. So the man that I was living with, he was working a lot, spent half the time out of the country. The child who I was sharing a house with did want, did not want me in her life at all. My, a lot of my friends were going off to have young children and I found myself desperately alone. alone. So my drinking, that was something I drank to party, to have good times, um, I had a high-powered job to relieve some of that stress. Um, I started to rely on it. It became a crutch. It became a medicine. It became because what what happened is there were some times in my very early life. My mother had undiagnosed um, anxiety. Um, they live by this old school belief that you work really hard um, so you can earn good money so you can send your kids off to school. So I was actually desperately lonely as a child, and. And that was kind of reignited. And that's when I started using alcohol as, as a medicine. And then what happens is that in the reward centers of the brain, so, you know, you have a drink, feels good, get a hit of dopamine, right, have another one, feels good. In the healthy reward centers of the brain, what happens is that, you know, you have a drink or whatever, and it feels good, you have another one. But then there's a point you're like, I've got to get up in the morning, I've got serious respons responsibilities, there's other things happening, I need to stop now. 
I'll go to bed or whatever. What happens in the mind when we're on the journey from, um, you know, alcohol abuse disorder right through to full-blown addiction is that 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 healthy functioning of the reward centres of the brain becomes dysfunctional and moves into, again, a simplification, but it moves into the mammalian part of the brain. So it's no longer in the executive functioning areas where which where we have constant where we can control you know consequences make smart decisions like stop drinking and and get on with, with your life but it moves to the this area where we lose control of the ability to stop so um there's this point where we get heavily addicted to a substance or a process and we can't outthink it and one of the most difficult things for me on the journey of looking to, to stop drinking and drugging is I'd always been able to solve everything else with self-discipline, work out, you know, just be really disciplined, push through. And, but this is a whole different process. It's a, you need to actually come to a level of surrender of this process and surrender that, that you're not coping and that it's not working and, um, and reach out for help. And because, I mean, why I'm on such a, mi- a mission and you know, I reached out to you to be on, you know, your amazing podcast is because there's such a stigma around, you know, alcohol, this use around addiction, uh, around all this this stuff that people don't reach out to help for help until it's too late. And, you know, we can arrest some of this early and especially with the, the crisis that the pandemic has led to a mental health crisis that has led to, um, you know, a lot of people leaning on drugs and alcohol. And, uh, you know, there is help available. There's help, you know, like myself, my business, you can do recovery coaching from home. You don't need to go off to an AA or an NA meeting. That can also be incredibly supportive. But there is other ways that we can recover. But we need to address this problem, break down the stigma, address the problem, and and then, you know, reach out for help. Mm. And so how did you pick up the pieces and start to move through your addiction towards healing? Yeah, well, in some ways I find it a gift that it wasn't a simple process for me because I had to look at all of the, you know, like the, you know, the family systems, the um, mental health, you know, I, I, I literally used everything all alternative, you know, medicines that you could try, you know, holistic doctors, clinical psychologists, um, holographic kinesiology, um, you know, like really. You went everywhere. Yeah. 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 Hypnotherapy, (laughs) anything that was out there, I tried it. Um, And and so can I ask, mm -hmm. what led you to have the hope that you wanted to get better and that you wanted to try things? Like was there a turning point? Was there a low that you thought this has to change? The, the gift for me was that um, with my determination to, because I was like, I want to drink like, a, I still love alcohol, I want to drink like a normal drinker. So uh-huh. I'm going to find a way to do that. And uh, But in doing that, you know, I continued to drink way past my body was screaming at me to stop. So my lows were really low. You know, my fiancé left me, said, I, I can't watch the woman I love kill herself slowly in front of me um we'd moved in together um so I then lost my house because I'd sold my house to move in with him um you know I went to hospital for um 
medical detoxes because I drink to such a degree that my body had to go through a medical detox. So they have to take you through, uh, they bring you down on Valium or diazepam so that you don't have a seizure and die. There's two drugs that you can die in withdrawals from. One is benzos and the other one is alcohol. People think it's heroin, but alcohol is really so, so toxic and you can't just quit cold turkey like that. So my lows were so low, like, you know, in hospital, ambulances, cancelling a wedding, um, you know, father crying at the end of the hospital bed. You know, they were so low. There was just a point where I just said, I, you know, I have to find a way out of this, you know. And and the journey in that is also I'm very clear now why I'm on this planet. You know, I, I'm here to serve. I'm here to inspire, empower, to alleviate others. All the things that I did wrong, the rehabs that I went to, the different things that I tried, I found I found what, you know, what works and, and I'm working with clients on that. And, um, and now the thing is it's not just putting down drinks and drugs. It's building a life that you never want to escape from. It's actually a meaningful, purposeful, intentional life. And so it was all a gift, you know, the, the dark nights of the soul, the, the depths of that, of, of almost dying. It was all a gift. So it was the, to answer your question, it was the deep, deep lows that just forced me to say I had to find a way. And, and also I will say the people that I love were, were a real motivating factor to say, even if it's not, because in that moment I didn't love myself enough to do it, that, to say that, you know, I'm going to find I'm going to find a way to to do then there's a way to you know to to turn it into gold as well Mm, incredible and and so I'm curious we're going to start unpacking addiction um you mentioned a few technical terms there that I want to go back to at the very start um and you referenced Gabor Mate, who I'm a huge fan of as well I think when the body says no should be a teenage must oh, read so really? that you actually get it before the shit hits the fan oh, uh, rather than later. More, yeah. Uh, and, um, and, but I, I'm also a really big fan of say Dr. Daniel Amen's work as a psychiatrist and looking at ADD and the different parts of the brain that aren't getting blood and how there's some evidence around a link to addiction um, in, in that work as well. And so I'm curious to know as someone who then, by pulling yourself through and uh, and healing yourself, um, you know, it might not be that the exact same method or the exact same analysis of what the problem is that we're dealing with for that bio-individual is. How did you then sort of muster the different uh, bits of science, if you like, that, that you then help others with? You know, what, what did you decide? How did you come to decide on the framework? Yeah, so, I mean, my particular route of of getting sober was I worked with a clinical psychologist who was an addiction specialist who's trauma-informed because I think those things are incredibly important. Um, It is a holistic solution. It's a mind-body-spirit problem and solution. So um, I I, I trained under a a clinical psychologist, a business that I've just started um, from here on with my business partner who's also... Um, a very brilliant woman who I met in in recovery, and and what we do is we provide a solution that's somewhat similar to the one that I kind of cobbled together for myself. So where depending on someone's where they're at in their journey and what work they've done, 
you know, leading up to it. For example, I've got an amazing client who spent years on um, the, the healing of the complex trauma. So now it's a very forward-facing process of the core tenets and pillars that we keep in your life to build that life that you don't want to escape from. But in essence, there's... Um, there is an understanding and, and Gabor Mehta's work is brilliant because he understands and and Johan Hari as well, who talks about, you know, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. And that's a big piece that we work on in recovery coaching. So, um, you know, there is there's some trauma work to be done if it, if it hasn't been done. There's somatic work to be done. Where is it? Where is it sitting in the body? Um there is, I'm also, it's quite outspoken, but I am, I am also a, a big fan of um, plant medicines. And there is, um, you know, there, some of the new research, it'll be wonderful when you get further along with that around some of the research, because that shows, because what happens, when we're still, still looking to self-soothe one of these old traumatic wounds, what happens is the wound actually isn't processed. So what Dr. Gabamate talks about and what we see with things like ayahuasca and psilocybin is that that memory gets released. It can be, again, simplification. It can be um, put together with the emotion and then actually moved into the past, you know, because trauma responses, you know, when we, you know, if we ever come into like a real anxiety, it's like, it's like our body's back at that moment of whenever that traumatic experience happened. Because the, the amygdala in the brain knows that it controls emotional regulation, understands that whatever substance was your kind of drug of choice will always be the one that can help. And in like when things are really tough enough, that's the one that can solve the problem. But you can, with, I mean, the, what we found in recent years around neuroplasticity, we can build all these new neural pathways that build healthy habits and systems that um, they just build a new way of life that, that don't involve that that drink or drunk, that the 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 drink or the drink or drug, and and for people who aren't as far along in that process, it's just around building those pathways so you know they don't pick it up. Mm. And as a coach, uh, how do you draw the line, and how do you build a team? Like, let's just say someone comes to you, and you're having a first session, you're like okay, this is someone I actually need to refer out. Do you have a, a network of people that you then build a team around a person with? How we does do. that part work? Yeah, We've got an existing team. So um, at the, the work that we've done, and it just because it kind of it, it took off so, so quickly, I was working as part of a, a, another kind of virtual rehab team where there was a clinical psychologist there and a somatic therapist. And now with, um, with From Here On, so myself and Sophie Agadami, where we've got an addiction doctor, somatic therapist, mindfulness, and that's a very big part of it because, you know, our, uh, our relationship with our thoughts and our reality is, is where we cause suffering. And when there's no suffering and there's no pain, there's no pain that needs to be medicated. So mindfulness is actually a very big part of the process. So, yeah, so in essence, we do a very detailed um uh, intake with anybody that we're working with to understand, you know, what are their needs? What are the, what's, where they're, where, where are they at? What work's been done before? And then what is the best level of care and support that we can build for them? So, so sometimes it can be quite simple. So I'll give you an example, like one of my clients that I'm working with, you know, he's done a lot of trauma work over the years, a lot of um, somatic work, and he just couldn't, just couldn't kick it. 
you know, he just, he was changed his habits to a degree, but it was still there. So, so we weave together, you know, twice, um, twice a month over Zoom, hour-long sessions for three months, then for a year around just the core tenets in his life, you know, how is he connected to you know, his intrinsic purpose? How is he nurturing mind, body and spirit? How is he, you know, he mindful in, in all areas of his life? Just having, keeping him really stable. Now, somebody else who comes who's maybe just had, you know, a psychosis, then it can be quite a different process. You no, know? And they always, in terms of working with us, they need to have gone through a medical detox before before they work with us. And then there's also, I believe, you know, there's 12-step, uh, I mean, anonymous programs are anonymous, but there are 12-step programs as well that can also be part of, um, uh, and they're free. So, you know, we can refer people into them as well. And they can help as a really good community support tool as well. So, um, you know, so someone can, you know, add kind of add that into the mix and it, and it doesn't cost anything as well. Yeah, amazing. And I think, you know, in a time where a lot of medicine is privileged, uh, you know, off insurance and things like that, to, to just know that people can get that support is so important. Um, amazing. And you mentioned something right at the start, which was we differentiate between a heavy drinker and an addicted drinker. Can you make that a scientific difference so that people can understand in their minds perhaps when someone in their own life or themselves might be blurring the lines and, and heading into addiction? Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. And I have to say, Alex, you know, even in thinking about today's last uh, podcast, I was like, okay, it's low talks because, you, you know, you talk about not necessarily the extreme extreme, but really how do we be in, in, intentional and conscious in, in our life? And I was thinking, you know, intentionality and consciousness when it comes to drugs and alcohol, because there's a difference. There are some people who can drink intentionally and consciously and, and, and that's where it's just heavy drinking a problem. And there, and then there's others where, um, where it needs to be no to drugs and alcohol. Yeah, maybe yes, but no to those. And so the so the line here. So firstly, there's a food, there's now there's a quiz on our website that that helps people, especially more deeper in addiction. But a few simple questions that can be asked. So firstly, no. So when I, on the outside they can look the same because what you might be able to see is somebody who just drinks a lot, but what you can't see is are they having two drinks before they go out. Are they then drinking half a bottle before they go home? And also, what level of mental obsession is involved? Have, may, they may be only drinking on the weekend, but all week they've been hanging out for that drink. So sometimes um, it's hard to tell from the outside. The questions, um, and also I deal quite a bit with loved ones too, and, and we'll obviously leave all of my details because I'm always happy to support loved ones because the thing about addiction is it hurts so many people around the person who's who's actually suffering. It's really, it's so destructive in that manner. The questions to be asked firstly when we start and ask themselves is, have I tried to stop and cut down and not been able to? So like really tried to, to give it a go, like haven't been able to get through dry, dry July or dry January, you know. Um, have I tried all these other ways like swapping mixing drinks so one you know one water one wine or one water one whiskey but yet not being able to to stick to that have i um suffered um uh any uh consequences so 
um, you know, late for work, not being able to show up for work, um, uh, you know, late for a sport match, too hungover to a sport match. Have other people in my life been telling me that I have a problem? So has my wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, have they been saying, hey, I think you think you've think you've got a problem and then so they're ones where any of those if any of those questions are a yes then um we go okay maybe i need to have a look at this and then the one where we go i really need to have a look at this is do i need an eye opener which is the morning drink because when you're physiologically because it is mind body and spirit thing when you're actually physiologically addicted to alcohol um it's a different feeling the morning after than a hangover. So a hangover for an object, you know, because alcohol is a toxin, it harms the brain, the liver, the kidneys, the heart. Um, it really is the worst of, all, of the drugs. If you look at a body map of what, what, which <laughs> drugs and how they, affect, how they affect the body, alcohol is just like the whole body's lit up. And yet it's but, the most legal one. And with some of the biggest social consequences. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, and we could do a whole other podcast on that. But the, the other one where we really need to say um, is, do have I had an eye opener? And so that's the morning drink. So if, so if the person's ever got the shakes in the morning or, or a level of anxiety in the morning, then there's a physiological addiction to, it, to alcohol right then and there. And you know what? Your average GP has no idea when I, so I, I had no idea, like when I, when that first happened to me, so this was kind of at the end of my party years, I was starting to drink way too much, but it was just before like, when it really kicked off. I went to the doctor, not knowing. And I was like, I've kind of got this kind of shivery in my like hands in the morning. And she's like, oh, that's a bit of anxiety. Um, I'll prescribe you some Valium. So Valium is, um, is chemical form alcohol. It works on the same part of the brain is alcohol and you use it to detox so yes it would help me move from alcohol to to valium to normal without experiencing those yucky side effects but i had a physical physiological addiction like something that that was that was the point where my body that was the point that used gabal mate's you know um thinking my body was screaming at me hey something's not right here do you know so that's and then for, for the person if so we, we talked about some of the questions you know we're looking at our life and our external life and internally even when I was there were times when I was trying to drink kind of responsibly there was this kind of inner knowing and I was kind of like no Carly there's a problem do you know there's, yeah, you know, yeah. And, it's that honesty yeah. with yourself lights are out you've hit the pillow and that, that thought comes in, there's something wrong. Yeah. And and also I think, especially, you know, in Australia, and, and, and as you mentioned, in so many societies, alcohol is so widely accepted and people can also use that excuse, but I don't drink as much as them or I'm not as bad as them. But I think we all know within ourselves, you know, when we're drinking too much and people tend to think that maybe, oh, life without drinking is not fun. But, but all the shame goes all the guilt goes all the and and actually taking that toxin out of your life i got just got some beautiful feedback from a recent client was um was just around how aligned he feels in his life right now if you're somebody who's on a conscious and intentional path and you take alcohol out of your life 
than just how much alignment there can be, which is which is a whole new level. Yes, you get the alcohol and the shame and the consequences and the chaos and and the deep dark times, but then also it can be it can be the doorway to something far more beautiful. Mm. And um, you also mentioned a, and I actually can't read, DD something, some sort of pathway. Well, oh, so the, the DSM-5. That, is the that was it, DSM-5, yeah. thank you. So the DSM-5 is the medical criteria um, mm. that, um, that we use for addiction, mm-hmm. which, um, which talk, I gave you kind of the abbreviated version, but it, but it really, it, it's a questionnaire that, that all looks at um, uh, you know, have you stopped and being able to um, got it? Yeah, not being able to stop. And also, the, the other one that the DSM um, five adds in has your tolerance increased? This is an easy one. You know, people used to be able to get bars off one and a half glasses of wine, and then mm. it takes three. Mm. <laughs> you know, okay. so yeah. tolerance increase. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's a more formal structure for some of those questions that I asked you. Yeah. Wow, and so you mentioned just then the shame, the guilt uh at as an addict uh and i'm curious to know how you personally or how you feel that you now uh supported yourself or others in in that particular part because i'd imagine um if there was a going back you know falling off the bandwagon moment that shame and guilt would be amplified times a hundred and it's almost like subsequent addiction relapses would even be worse than the original um and and as someone who's never experienced addiction I don't know Uh, so I'm asking you like you hear about relapses and and people having these horrific um times and is the shame and guilt worse if you go back to it uh that is such a great question lovely for 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 two reasons um because I love I'd love you know the answer to the opportunity to answer this question because the shame is so yucky. I love mm. shame. So maybe it can alleviate other people's shame in, in some degree because as um, Brene Brown puts it so beautifully, you know, guilt is when we know we've done bad. Shame is when we think we are bad. Mm. And that is a really horrible feeling. It's a self-worth thing, right? It's so Ooh, deep. Yeah. It's like it's it's, a, it's self-worth, self-hatred in, 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 to, to a degree. So, um, and this is why some people don't like the 12-step programs because um, they are very big on counting days. And so you could get, uh, you know, 20 years up and then you stop and then you start from one. So that can be hard. So a bit of a double, double-edged sword there. So I suppose this, this um, one, key, one key thing I'd really like to share firstly that would hopefully um, alleviate some shame for people who are in the process. When you understand addiction from a medical perspective, um, basically this is what the cycle of it looks like. We have pre-contemplation, contemplation, action, maintenance, and relapse. It is a chronic relapsing disease. It is because, because the amygdala that controls our emotional response knows that alcohol um so smart it knows that that in the highest periods of stress there is this one thing whether whatever that is and really we can swap whatever drug or process it's the mm. same, same 
So it's almost um, like the amygdala has been trained really yes. uh, to recognise uh, this is the situation that I pull out all stops and grab the yeah, bottle. Yeah, absolutely. At this level of emotional distress, Got it. I know what will fix it. So we build all this and that's why coaching also um, that's why, and that this also, I mean, there's a number of reasons why 28 day rehabs don't work, but, um, uh, but also we need at least a year of the, of like kind of commitment to building these new neural pathways and really reinforcing them. So under extreme stress and pressure, um, like I faced, you know, my sister was in, um, uh, almost died um, of a rare autoimmune d- disease a year ago while I was stuck in Bali. You know, I had to face that in, in sobriety. Like I've been in some of the worst situations I've been in in in, in sobriety. And so it relapse doesn't have to be part of the process, but what I suppose what I want to share is for most people, it is part of the process, um, but that's, and that's okay. You're not a failure. There was more to learn. You know, like we, we all of those learned that learning before the relapse. Um, it doesn't uh, invalidate it. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. exactly. It doesn't invalidate. It, it's like someone who is, you know, super committed to an incredibly clean diet and eats a piece of cake that day. All of those years before aren't wasted. No. They stuffed no. up. They mm. stuffed up. We need to have the same approach with, our, with alcohol too. And, um, and really, the, the relapse can be a beautiful because also a relapse doesn't actually start the day the person picks up the drink or the drug. It's actually all the things that happen in the weeks and months. Well, sometimes it might be this extreme accident, the drink, but normally it's a combination of things even building up, just not being a lot, like not being as committed to their, um, their practices, you know, their, their, their meditation, their, you know, whatever practices and principles that they have in their life, not being as aligned in their life in business or in life or in relationships or staying in a, in a relationship they know they shouldn't be in. There's normally a number of factors. So sometimes with a relapse, it's also, it's when things when come, when um, things come crashing down and we have the opportunity to then go, okay, let's, um, Okay, there's a there's a gift in this because one of the things that you know I say, you know, I, I have friends that drink a bit too much, drink, you know, drugs here, just do, you know, all of their lifestyle, oh, life's a bit too difficult. So um uh um find some external sense of validation to make themselves feel good in this moment. So numbing, dumbing, distracting, numbing, dumbing, distracting, numbing, dumbing, distracting, and the level of happiness is about here. But what happens with alcohol when you have a rock bottom is everything is crushed up and you have a really good, hard look at yourself. And from there, you can build a beautiful, intentional, meaningful life that is aligned to your values. So it's an, it is an opportunity, to, especially if you lose everything, to turn everything around. And a relapse can be an opportunity again to take a really good, hard look at everything and and, and build from there. So it doesn't have to be, um, yes, there can be a lot of shame and also people can get stuck there. I know people that had like 10 years sobriety have a relapse and they're out for 10. It doesn't have to be like that. It can be an opportunity to, a beautiful opportunity to see what wasn't working right, refine one's life and, and have a more meaningful life from there.
Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I really am fascinated with the the relapse, especially because of the additional shame, the, oh, I didn't make it, I'm a failure, even though I tried, and that whole, I mean, you know, everyone's had relapses of all sorts of kinds in their lives across all sorts of things, and the shame the shame uh, conversation has been such an important one to bring to the fore uh, with Brene Brown's work because, I don't think we realised how pervasive it was in all parts of our lives and society, uh, whether it's a, a, you know, a teacher screaming at a child in front of the whole class or um, a parent telling you off in front of all of your siblings for something. And, uh, you know, you, we could all go on. Um, but I think in addiction from what you're saying, what I love that you've said is it doesn't invalidate all the work that you've done up until that point. It just means there's more to learn. And I think that is such a beautiful message of hope uh, that kind of gives me goosebumps and almost makes me want to cry for people out there um, because it's really just that powerful. Um, And I think we could take that from the original addiction if this is the first time you're confronting it as well. It doesn't invalidate all the times you've maybe tried to realise it was a problem and do a few things and they haven't worked. Um, It just means there's more to learn. So I think if people take one thing from this whole show as a a feeling of of hope moving forward, I, I hope it's that because I think that's been a real pinnacle in the chat so far. Kylie, I want to ask... In terms of it just means there's more to learn, can you talk us through some of the key layers of onion that we unpeel to really help someone leave no stone unturned in terms of what has contributed to their addiction, either initial or relapse, uh, and so that people can build a meaningful life? And, And the reason I want you to go super technical here is I just don't want anyone out there to think, oh, I've got to do some somatic and mindfulness work and, oh, crap, that hasn't worked and I'm still here. Like if there's some deep-seated psychiatric issue that hasn't been identified or psychological, you know, like I just want to, I feel like we need to be really careful custodians in a subject like this to make sure people understand just how many things can be looked at in the overall picture. Absolutely. Look, and I, I love that you've raised that because because some people just, just well, they think, because alcohol ultimately is a symptom, you know, we're, we're picking up, but it's, it's a medication that we're using. So, so, so a lot of people think, um, okay, well, I'll just do um, other practices in my life. So I generate more self-love so that I, you know, so that I, you know, that I don't drink so much, or I don't need to medicate so much. So I'll just do more yoga um and um and live a healthier life and um and then i'll be able to drink moderately but if you're one of those people where your tolerance has increased you've tried to stop and you haven't been able to uh able you know able to stop um and then the other thing there's been any level of consequences and then we also get to the more serious consequences duis legal all that type of stuff and the thing is Alcohol, I'm really so glad we're having this conversation. You're asking such beautiful, detailed questions is that it's, it is chronic and it continues. So until something, it will, it will get worse until it's arrested. And also the other thing is if somebody manages to find a way to put, put down the drink or drug, but doesn't deal with the original problems, it pops up again. 
So I've got a sex addict that I've been working with for a year who put down drink over 10 years ago. Mm. And then it became a raging sex addiction. Wow. You know? Then it becomes, yeah, f- Like you replace one addiction with the other. It's yeah. that, what's that, that game when you pop the, like, um, oh, I can't think of it, the, the animal keeps popping it down and you keep. Oh, oh, happy hippos. Oh, we're happy hippos. Oh, happy hippos. That's, that's what it's like. You, yeah. you don't deal with the root of what you don't deal with the root of the problem. So um, I think people, they always have to speak to an, an addiction specialist, your average GP, they don't know, um, you know, I really have been deep into a couple of books recently. The the limit on what is um, the average GP learns about addiction in medical school is just like it's, it's a very yeah. small amount. So, well, and a great GP, in, in fairness to them, will have that network where they can move people on when it's outside of their sphere and the, the person's not getting better. Yeah, yes, mm. absolutely, absolutely. And so um, the, the person needs to speak to, um, you know, an addiction specialist, you know, such as myself, such as a clinical uh, clinical psychologist with um, uh, ideally with trauma and, um, and, and addiction in their past. The things, the key, key elements that people need to look at, and look, like I thought I had no trauma. I thought I had a perfect childhood. I honestly did. One of the things I sat down in a, one of my first rehabs, and I had to write this book. What was your first happy memory with your, with your mother? I was like, I can't think of one until I was nineteen, and I had suppressed so much stuff. Now, um, I love my mother, and she's a beautiful woman, and she's I, you know, I, you know, incredible, and she was doing the absolute best with what she had, the tools that she had at the time, and a lot of the stuff, those old pants school parenting techniques, where you, you know, this the child needs to cry themselves to sleep, and my poor mum was on one side of the door, and the child was crying on the other side. She was crying, but you know, all these that some so there's a lot of stuff that we don't even aware of. So there's um, addiction, there, there's complex trauma. What really happens um, in our early childhood? You know, is there ancestral trauma? What else might be, what else might be um, coming down the line? We need to look at mind, body, and spirit. In our existing life, you know, how are we nurturing all aspects, um, all aspects of our be- of being? Now, addiction is uh, a problem of comorbidity, so it is often um, aligned to addiction or another mental health issue um, often with depression or often with bipolar um, but a, a medical professional will tell you that you can't you don't even you don't know whether it's the depression driving the drink or the drink dri- dri- driving the depression until the alcohol is put down for at least six months so um, yeah I mean I would say that someone absolutely just needs to you know, do the questionnaire on the website, speak to an addiction specialist, and then they really do need to look at. And then that said, all of this work, we don't need to peel away all the layers of the the onion before we start moving forward as well. You can still start moving forward because it can be, a because also that's never, when we start getting into ancestral trauma and ever like that journey never ends. The healing journey never ends. And I also... Um, like where I am in Bali at the moment, in Ubud, we, um, some of us refer to as the Disneyland of spirituality. And we have a lot of, um, <laughs> there are a lot of, and I love all my alternate therapies, um, but there is, um, 
there is this idea of I'm fixed and I need to be, you know, I need to be healed. Where I believe that we are in eight, we are in eight precious, precious human beings. And sometimes shit happens to us and we forget how precious we are. So this is a period in becoming sober or for some people who just have a problem with alcohol um, and then around, you know, harm minimization, it's around um, just remembering our wholeness, you know, and nurturing, you know, the mind, body and spirit throughout, you know, throughout that, that process. But, um, you know, really people need to speak to an addictions specialist, you know, first off the bat. And then then the combination of, yeah, they could work with someone like us who puts it all together uh, for you, but I would, it needs to be a mind, body and solution. So a level of, you know, working on the mind in terms of therapy, working with um, forward facing, so um, coaching, there is somatic work and mindfulness or exercise or whatever else you know it can be a combination of, of different things but a mind spirit, spirit solution and, and is when, sorry is it that mind body spirit solution that starts to uh write a new memory for the amygdala so that that then minimizes the chance of a relapse down the track it builds new neural pathways so yeah. that um that when we're in very very high levels of stress um we've got got other coping mechanisms um but um but the thing about addiction and that's why we do need to solve the root of it is that the amygdala still does know the research to date is that people cannot drink or drug for 20 years go back out and they're right back where they started Mm, frightening yeah, it's not it's not as simple as and trust me, I tried every route to be able to just fix the stuff that drove the addiction so I could drink like a normal person. Mm. And can you drink at all? No, no, no. not not. And that's the impossible line that the DSM five helps you get clear on where you're at in that line. And for some people who just um, abuse alcohol through periods of their life and they are able to stop their tolerance doesn't increase and they, um, uh, um, yeah, and they can moderate and also not moderate. Some people control their drinking. If you have to control it, there's a problem. Like, Mm. do you have to control how many cucumbers you have a week? No. (laughs) You don't. You don't. You know, if you don't have a problem, how many green teas you have a week, it's just, it's not a problem. You know, but whenever you're really having to go, no, I'm only having two tonight, I'm only having three tonight. Yes, a little bit of a a conscious, responsible choice around tonight I'm not drinking or tonight I'm going to, yeah, cut loose a little bit or that's fine. But when somebody finds themselves constantly having to keep a tight grip on not overdoing it, there's something deeper to be explored. Mm. So, oh gosh, that reminds me of my last year of smoking where I was like, I'm not going to smoke more than a pack a day. And that was my limit. And, you know, you just, I created so many stories for myself. I'm not going to smoke once it's more than $10 a packet. I was horrified to learn the other day that cigarettes are like $48 a packet now. That's how old I am. I quit when I was 29. I had, I've never been a smoker. I had, I had no 17 years ago. Yeah. 
Um, and, and so you've just spoken um, perfectly about all the yets. And what yeah, like, yeah. What and I just kept setting you? new definitions. You set new bars. Um, so like, I have been an addict. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, so I will, um, I'll never drink alone. It's mm. the price. We can't go out, so why not? Yeah. Uh, you know, I never drink alone. You know, just all these, and the bark is, and then, then, yeah, I would never have a morning drink. I would, and we just keep moving it. The yet, mm. the yet, the yet, the yet, the yet. I don't have a problem, you know. Mm. Haven't done that yet, haven't done that yet, haven't done that yet, and then we just keep moving them. Right. Wow. Yeah. The justifications and the rationalizations that we continue to come up with to justify our behaviors. Yeah, wow, okay. And and so that's leading me to kind of back to shame, I guess, because how damaging is the willpower notion in addiction? I, I feel like that's going to be really damaging because it's almost like, okay, well, you've seen the psychiatrist or the psychologist a few times and you've done the detox and you've been to the rehab, um, but if there's some more root cause work to do and if you haven't done that rebuild work, the rewiring work, and, you know, we then head into the relapse or we have the, the relapse hanging over our head like a dark cloud, like, will I be able to do this? Will I be able to hold? And it's this willpower conversation that's more kind of, I guess, commonly accepted as a way to get over something or to beat something or to develop a better habit. Um, that seems to me like that's going to be really harmful in the addiction space. Oh, you've absolutely nailed it. It really is. And it's mm. one of the that kept me from getting sober for so long because in all other areas of my life, it had been my determination, my grit, my tenacity yeah. that I'd been so successful. And, and that's what society rewards us for, you know. it started my own business and I'd launched a, a podcast and I'd done all these other things and everything that I'd wanted to, that I put my mind to, I was able to do. And I hear people as well who'd be like, I would never get to that because I'd be able to stop before that. I want to hit them over the head, you know, because once that your, your brain is rewired, once the executive functioning of your brain is rewired, you can't willpower your way out of that. You, know, you really can't. And it's actually quite a damaging thought. But there is also an absolute gift in it and how we harness our tenacity and our strength and we willpower to stay, um, to stay sober but yet what I did find is that so my my willpower and willpower also has a limit. Like even you'd find people are like, I just want to kind of go to places where I drink a lot and I just want to keep testing myself to see whether, you know, how strong I'm ready. I'm like, which is fine further down the track. Like I have zero interest in drinking. I can go, you know, anywhere, anyone could like, I can keep, I, I give, if I have a partner who drinks, I keep alcohol in the fridge. You know, I would never advise that to somebody in early sobriety, but it's just not even a factor, you know. But the in early sobriety too, like there is a limit to our willpower because if we are the Holtz, hungry, angry, tired, lonely, or um, too serious, our thinking is impaired and our willpower is impaired so at some stage you're going to have enough there's the will there'll be a crack in the willpower and you'll pick up that drink and then also what happens is we have this kind of neural super highway once you start that drink or that drug you're way back down that path again so we can't rely on willpower initially to say stay sober we do need 
a really smart approach to deal with alcohol as um, you know in, your, in all of it in all of its complexity and we also need a surrender and this is one of the most beautiful parts of the process and also for life because when we surrender to okay I can't do this on my own I can't do this on my own I wasn't able to do this on my own um, I found the humility the courage you know the strength and the authenticity to openly share that I couldn't do it on my own. And I have to say the amount of my friendships that deepened through that period that, that I'd reflected, because I'd started this entrepreneurs group where, um, and I, these, when these women, they were more successful than I was. And I was so intimidated by them and I was missing my events because I was falling over and relapse and saying that I had like a, a, um, a gastro, how many times can I have gastro? And, and so there was a point where I just said to them and they, you know, and they reflected back to me, wow, your courage to be able to, and I, you know, I'm so lucky that I chose the right people to share it with where initially that, um, that when, when I did surrender and I found that strength and courage and authenticity in myself, and that's how I live my life. And that's why I live a better life. And so you surrender to needing help. If you're on the spiritual path, surrender to surrender to the universe you know you um you ask for for help and and then it becomes this unfolding of a, a new way and a new process of of a living life it's like when we're stressed about anything in life and we surrender to it we stop the suffering we stop the resistance and something beautiful unfolds mm, and resistance. what unfolds is something you mentioned right at the start is connection whether it's to people actually, you know, admitting a vulnerability actually brings you closer to people, uh, whether it's spiritually, a, a connection to oneness, it's connection. And that, you know, as that wonderful TED Talk says, it's the opposite of addiction. That, that, you know, that is exactly right. So when we have this surrender to, hey, look, we're all flawed human beings, you know, and the one thing that, you know, just like somebody might have you know, a broken leg and somebody else has, you know, faulty wiring around, you know, in the reward centers of their brain around alcohol or any other drugs. And when we admit to that and also shame dissipates. So when we're honest and open and vulnerable, when we surrender, when we share, then um, when we share our story in a non-judgmental space, then we create connection and we create real connection. Um, and then that's just you. So you have a really big, deep practice with it in the journey of addiction. And then you follow through in that process within your life and within your friendships and, and day to day. And it, 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 yeah, exactly. It means a, a deeper, more profound existence with, um, with more connection and more serenity and more freedom. Mm. Something that I wanted to ask you about is when we replace an addiction with something say healthy, let's say, um, and whether that is helpful or whether it can actually just be a new Band-Aid for something that hasn't been worked on yet or whether there's a grey area there where obviously healthy replacements are part of rebuilding um, and, and how do we then avoid it just being a Band-Aid? Like how do we know for sure that we haven't just replaced one thing with another? Yeah, exactly. Actually, somebody that used to work with used to close used, used to say that you know the, you know the drug of the drink is this kind of uh, the crutch, and then we just build a more sophisticated crutch and a more sophisticated crutch and a more sophisticated mm. crutch. And, and yeah, you're right. I think 
Well, I think the problem though, when because like we'd like to say, you know, intrinsically, you know, the, the body, you know, at our at our core that we are the we the we are compassion and wisdom and the body ultimately knows. But if we're numbing, dumbing, distracted in this world and taking drugs and alcohol, we're so far off our center, we can't make smart, intuitive decisions. So there's that because you know, if we were smart and said we'd know the difference within ourselves, whether it's a band-aid or whether it's, you know, just, you know, a, a healthy healthy solution. So, you know, I think, you know, if we know that we're, you know, abusing drugs or alcohol, we need an objective perspective. You need to, to, to speak to specialists then um, and also deal with the root of the problem because, as you said, because if we're not dealing with the root of the problem, then... It, it also, it's going to be a lifelong struggle that will move from, you know, from drinking to an eating disorder to sex addiction to gambling to just, and some of them can look more normal, just workaholism, um, you know. Extreme the, sports. Yeah. Exactly. It could mm. be anything else that we just get involved in so, so obsessively. Mm. So, um, you know, an objective perspective um, can really help. You know, I'm really working with someone who can can see what you what you can't see because yeah, because when you do take the you know the drink or the drug out, you are going to be replacing it with healthy behaviors. But healthy behaviors is very different from distracting my distracting oneself from the obsession with others. And this is what I do see quite often: people who only do and you know. I do believe that the 12 steps can be part of a recovery solution, but only do that. And so they then become dependent on meetings or just mm. don't do the other work. So, so if they don't do their meetings or they don't do their routine, I've got a friend who has, who's never dealt with his in, um, trauma, a lot of trauma. So he's got, he does, he does Wim Hof, he um, it just is incredibly clean diet, like all the amazing, amazing lifestyle, like all the great things. But he's in a sense, in essence, he's just but medicating if, with something else. But if he, but all, and also, but if he doesn't do all those things, he relap, he relapses. Yeah. See, so in if in I, a way, it becomes a, a new medication. It's a new medication that is also dangerous because without mm. it they still fail so I've got strong practices and principles in my life and if I don't do them my head can be a bit all over the place but I don't go to drink mm. and how yeah. do you what do you think have been a couple of the has it really been that digging into trauma that has has helped you the most to not ever turn to drink again moving moving past it um the the work that has that has been very very powerful but I really think it's always it's a, it's a hard question to answer from my perspective. Like I've got a spiritual leader who says, throw away all your spiritual books. I'm like, that's great when you've read all the spiritual books, then you've got to, you know, you know what works <laughs> for you. Um, but there's, um, I think for me, that's the really forward focused work that keeps me on track, but I wouldn't be in this position without having done that prior to um, the, um, you know, the very intentional morning routine work, uh, the very intentional morning, um, the purpose-filled work, the uh, the intimate circle um, that that, um, that are all aligned to, to my values, you know, a lifestyle that I just find nourishing in mm. all respects. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. 
Well, Carly, I just want to thank you for not only sharing your own story, but uh, touching on the work you do uh, in this space. We've put all of the details in the show notes if people would like to connect to your work and maybe do that quiz. Um, if there was something you could say to someone out there who's thinking, oh, golly, I, I've got some work to do and, and had a really vulnerable experience during our show today, what would you say to them? I would say, firstly, you are not alone, lovely, you know, and there is, um, like, when, I, when I first went to like my AA, first like AA and NA meetings, I looked around and I'm like, I'm not one of these people, I don't belong here, you know, and that, that was wrong and I was arrogant and in judgment. And what I found in this process is it was my gift in shitty wrapping paper. My life is so much more profound and beautiful as a result of, of facing this and coming through it and life on the other end is way more beautiful than that I could ever have anticipated so um, if they have the courage to face it there's something really really beautiful waiting for them oh that's lovely thank you so much Kylie really really special words my absolute pleasure well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at Life or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 Euro and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.